Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this, this, this conversation. I think it's going to be pretty good. So Zach is recording, and for those that don't, know who you are would you mind just telling a quick little background about yourself and then we can kind of get into the the, the deal here are you talking to zach or me i know zach's background so (laughs) So, okay because i don't know that either so okay um well so let me tell you um we can go very far back because i'm almost 73 years old there's a lot of years here so I had a stroke at the age of 59, and I had no idea I wasn't healthy, but I guess I wasn't. Um, At that time, I maybe weighed 185, 187 pounds. I'm 5'7". I was probably a little chunkier than I should be. But um, I thought I was eating healthy, lots of carbs, lots of fiber, thought um, I was exercising well, maybe some aerobic stuff three or four days a week. And so I had this stroke, and uh, it shocks you into some reality. And my stroke stopped me from speaking for maybe two or three days, but everything else was fine. Then maybe six weeks later, I was okay. I went back to my practice. I'm a periodontist, so I'm practicing actively at that time. And I was put on seven medications to take for the rest of my life. And, of course, my physician's... I had no idea why I had a stroke. So I started to think I needed to find out what really occurred in my life to give me a stroke. So I went to the normal organizations like the American Medical Association, the Heart Association, the Cancer Society. All these things I thought could give me an answer that I didn't have. You know, my medical background, my dental background, like medical backgrounds, you don't learn anything about lifestyle, exercise, nutrition. Uh, If anything, we just learn how to push pills, and that's about it. So when I went to all these organizations, I read all these ideas of how to eat healthier. So I incorporated those changes, and I'm, again, 59 years old. They didn't really do anything, and here, maybe seven years later, I'm 66 years old, and I'm figuring... I'm doing what I've been told to do by these medical um, organizations, but it's not really doing very much, and I'm still on seven medicines. So lo and behold, I find a course at the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health on nutrition for healthcare professionals. So I thought, you know, this may sound good. It's a five-day course. It should be intensive. There's maybe five or six instructors. So I went to the course, and I was blown away. They talked about primal nutrition that I had never heard about. So once I got this indoctrination, 
Um, I called my wife maybe uh, a day or so before the, the seminar was over, and I said, Sue, we're going to have some changes uh, when we got home. So <laughs> she and I batted heads for a little while. She said, I'll give you 30 days. So basically, I changed everything. I went paleo. Um, I got all the food out of my refrigerator, the freezer, my pantry that was not paleo. It, it, it filled up seven big grocery bags that we took to the food bank, and we had no food. So we started finding out how to buy real healthy food, and we started doing wild-caught fish, pastured animals, and fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, that basic Thing and we completely eliminated the grains and the legumes and the processed seed oils and all these things that I had no idea wouldn't be good for my body. So that's at age 66. So between 66 and 71, is this getting too long and boring for you guys? So between 66 and 71, I completely eliminated all medications. I lost 30, 35 pounds. I felt phenomenal. And I felt like I was the poster boy for um, senior primal guy. You know, I was doing the things that I needed to do. I was exercising. I did weight training. I did aerobics. I did intensive uh, exercise. Um, and lo and behold, I'm doing seminars, and I'm, I'm incorporating all this concept of nutritional counseling with my patients. And, and treating gum disease, which obviously is significantly related. And so I'm lecturing all over the country, and I was speaking at Paleo FX in April of 2018. And generally when I do these trips, I carry my bags and I walk as much as I can from concourse to concourse, unless my flight schedule is tight. So Atlanta Airport's a big airport. I get into Concourse A. I have to go to Concourse E. It's a long walk. I'm walking because I have the time, and my bag that's on my right shoulder is starting to get really sore. My, my shoulder is getting real sore, and it's, that's very unusual. So it, that soreness stayed and never really went away. I did my seminar at, uh, in Austin, flew back to Charleston, where I live, and um, I'm still sore. And I just couldn't understand. I must have pulled a ligament, or I had no idea. So the soreness, this is in April, so April 2018, the soreness is lasting, and it's August or so, and I'm thinking, this is crazy. It's not going away. It's going to my back, then to my chest. So I see my physician, who I've seen over the last 35-plus years. I normally get medical checkups every year. Everything is always good. He's always amazed at my eating style. I'm healthy. He's not. Uh, he says, you know, I need you to be on cholesterol medication. I laugh at him. And, you know, this is our relationship, but we have respect for one another. And he looks at me and he says, obviously, you're sore. I, I say, yeah, I'm sore. So, so let's do a battery test. He does some chemical uh, chemistry tests, you know, typical stuff. So everything is normal except my uh, CRP. Normally, my CRP is less than 0.5, and it was 3.5, 4.5, something like that. A lot of people don't get excited about that. I get excited about that, and, I'm, and he says, we're, we're dealing with probably some kind of systemic inflammation. Let's do an MRI. We do the MRI. So the MRI comes back, and he calls me, and he says, Al, do you want to just come into the office? We'll talk about what I see or over the phone. I said, 
just give me, you know, what's up? So he said, if I were you, I'd be concerned. I said, okay. And he says, I think you have multiple myeloma, lymphoma, or leukemia. Now, these are three doors that are not doors I want to open up. And so it throws me. Um, he immediately gets in touch with an oncologist. And we do a, a whole battery of other tests and a PET scan and, and a, a soft tissue biopsy. On the MRI, he sees a vertebral uh, compression fracture. He sees a mass, a soft tissue mass on the side of my spine and um, T4, T5 area, something like that. He sees a couple cracked ribs. He sees a cracked pelvis and he says, did you fall down the steps? Did somebody beat you up? I said, no, I don't know what's going on. He said, well, the oncologist comes in and my wife is there, my adult kids are there, and I get this diagnosis of IgA kappa light chain multiple myeloma with innumerable skeletal lytic lesions. This is in September 2018. So he tells me um, what he thinks I need to do. And if I don't do anything, he gives me three to six months to live. That's a shocker. And so I've never been in denial, but we we had this discussion at that appointment and said, or I said, what, what are my options? He said, we need to immediately start on a cocktail of chemotherapy drugs to get you in remission. And then probably IV, uh, IV bisphosphonate for bone, and maybe we'll talk about stem cell therapy later, but we need to get you on this chemotherapy. So I'm talking to him, and he's being very candid with me, and we have a great relationship. And he says, uh, or I ask him, is this going to cure me? And he says, your disease is not curable. So I said then, why am I going to do chemotherapy? It, the, the caustic drugs are going to destroy my body. They're so archaic to start with. They don't attack cancer cells. They attack everything. So he says, but it will put you in remission and you'll be fine for a while. And I said, well, what will that mean? And he said, well, eventually the disease is going to come back. We'll need to use a new cocktail of chemotherapy, but it will be a different type of drugs because the original would not work anymore. We need to do something more aggressive. And eventually, these chemotherapy drugs will no longer walk, work, and you will eventually succumb to the, the manifestations of the multiple myeloma, which could be kidney failure, um, blood diseases and bleeding, or an infection that we can't treat. So... Basically, I'm telling him and he's telling me that I have an incurable disease, but I don't want any caustic medicines. And I said, I'm rejecting chemotherapy completely, and I need to investigate some unconventional or different options to treat my malignancy. So I start going to some integrated physicians that I know. I do quite a bit of research on PubMed, and I'm coming up with some ideas that make sense to me. So I get started with a host of, of my um, protocols that I think I've sent you. So I start that, but I tweak that constantly because new stuff comes up, things don't work, so I, I, I don't 
um, include them any longer. But once I, once I started what I was doing, and of course I was eating healthy to start with, none of my chemistries and um, malignancy markers really got worse and they didn't get better. So I never went into remission, but I was okay. And so I continued with that all along. I did tweak my paleo lifestyle to being more um, anti-immune uh, um, uh, anti type, autoimmune type um, uh, diet with getting rid of the nightshades. And then I did some more research and I discovered in la the latter part of 2019, the carnivore diet. Made, you know, some people had talked to me about it. It made no sense to me in the beginning. And then I did some research and I was blown away. So January 1st of this year, 2020, I started the carnivore diet. That's my exclusive way of eating today. I can certainly tell you that it has significantly increased my energy. It's been two months or so, a little more than two months that I've been doing it. I can tell you that I've, it's increased my energy. Certainly, um, my weight has gone down a little bit. I was not overweight anymore, but it went down a little bit. My muscle mass never changed, which is great. It, it, it's been stable. So I think that this is the way to treat or improve the healing of my body. And I went into the carnivore diet, not because of all the obvious things that people go into it for because of weight loss and whatever. I went into it to help cure my cancer, if that's possible. Now, there's a clinic in Budapest, Hungary, that's doing some really interesting stuff, and they call it the Paleolithic Ketogenic Diet, which is just a very, very strict carnivore diet. They even wean their patients off completely of any medicines that they're taking. They can't use um, dairy at all and no other supplements of any type. So they're using this diet as the exclusive therapy and they are documenting, and they've been doing this for 10 years, they're documenting some significant results with chronic disease and cancer. So because of this and, uh, and the other research I've done, this is where I'm going. Now there's no clinical um, controlled trials that I can find that talk about the carnivore diet and curing cancer. And, and that's okay with me. I measure my life in months, not years or decades. So I could, if I were maybe a practically thinking person and I was 25 years old, I might think, okay, uh, I'll wait for the science to prove that the carnivore diet is gonna cure cancer. But I don't have that time. And so I am doing this very aggressively, but I feel great. You know, you're looking at me. I don't think you, you can see me as a cancer patient that's dying. I go to the cancer clinic every two weeks, and I see patients that are pale. They can't walk. They are miserable. They have all kinds of side effects. You know, the medical profession never talks about the side effects of chemotherapy and radiation yet the side effects can be worse than the disease itself, the cancer itself, especially in the mouth. You know, mucositis is an um, amazingly debilitating disease. I've never had that, but I see patients that are experiencing these kinds of things. So, I again, I feel good. I think I'm on the way to helping my body very, very effectively. I don't know that I'm going to cure this disease. I don't even know if I'm going to go into remission. 
But again, I'm feeling really terrific. There we are. Elvin, did you say, just to clarify, I mean, this yes. was a great kind of like breakdown of just your, your trajectory so far, but did you mention that they said that the, the chemo stuff was going to be like a dead end for you? Did I hear that right? Well, they said that it was the only option I had to go into remission, mm, okay. yet it would not cure my disease. Okay. And the general um, uh, sequelae for this type of disease that I have is that the chemo works well and it will put me into remission, although I'd have a decrease in quality of life for the most part or, or most likely for the period of time I was on the chemo and then I'd be fine. But all of a sudden this disease would ramp itself up again in months or years and then I would have more significant clinical signs of the disease, but the chemotherapy that would be necessary would be a different cocktail that would be more caustic and aggressive because the original one would not no longer be effective at, uh, with this um, malignant plasma cells that I have. So it would be an on-off type of situation. I would be eventually, um, e either if I die before because of the chemo, or I go into remission and get to the point where no longer I'm in remission and no longer chemo is going to be effective, uh, I will die from the same complications if I did nothing. So I elected to do nothing and maintain a quality of life, which I have. Yeah, you know, it, kind of, it sounds like you were more or less saddled with the decision to like potentially extend your life timeline a bit, but come at the expense of any quality that would maybe be within that timeline or Absolutely. try to try, try a, maybe a less uh, proven method and see if you can maybe, uh, I don't want to say get lucky, but like, you know, find a way that happens to kind of do both, extend your life span as well as your lifetime line? Yes, yes. In my opinion, and it's only my opinion, quality of life is everything. So quality of life to me means if I die in three months, I have no problem with it if the quality of life stays the way I am. If I go downhill because I'm debilitated for all kinds of reasons and with all kinds of disability type symptoms because of the chemotherapy or the cancer itself, that is not the way I want to continue to live. I definitely don't want to have 10 years of life and nine and a half years of declining quality of life. That's, that's not my goal. Hey folks, I have some exciting news to share. HPO Podcast wants to reward some of our regular listeners and supporters. So we have partnered up with some companies to offer a monthly raffle for all our Patreon and PayPal donors. It's simple. Donate as little as one US dollar per month to automatically enter. For every dollar you donate will qualify you for a raffle ticket. At the end of the month, the raffle will be drawn and winners announced. Ultra Footwear is going to be giving away a free pair of shoes for our US listeners. Ultra Footwear makes shoes that are shaped like feet, have balanced cushioning, and build their shoes specifically to the anatomy of male and female feet. They call it their fit for her system. So check them out at ultrarunning.com. That's ultra with an A, running.com. S Fuels provides a series of low carb, high fat endurance and lifestyle products that are designed with the help from World Ironman Age Group Champion, Dr. Dan Plews, six-time Hawaii Ironman triathlete Dave Scott, and now myself. 
You can check out some of their educational material at sfuelsgolonger.com and also my collaboration with sfuels at sfuelsgolonger.com forward slash Zach. Sean and Zach will also be raffling off a free 20-minute consult each with minimum two weeks notice. So head over to paypal.me forward slash HPOpod or patreon.com forward slash HPOpodcast to support the show. Now we've had uh, some of the people, uh, the researchers in Hungary refer to Dr. Trofia Clemens and yes. uh, John Patoth. We've had them both on the, on the podcast. I've spoken with those guys extensively over the years. In fact, I'll be visiting them later this year as I when I go to Europe to do some speaking. But um, and then you might be familiar with the work of Thomas Seyfried. Uh, we've oh yes, absolutely. Him. We've had him so on the I'm podcast. Very well. active with his concepts too. Right. So that's that's interesting. So let me ask you because you said along the way you've tweaked and you've thrown things out that don't work. Can you just go in a little more detail about what things you did and what things you've discarded and why you may have done those well, things? Well, I've discarded most of the supplements that I was recommended to take by a particular integrative physician who was very much into lots and lots and lots and lots of pills. So this guy had me on, I would say, 40 to 60 slash or capsules slash tablets a day and a variety of stuff. And he was changing it every month. And all of them were either chemically developed and or plant-based, never emphasized nutrition, which is very interesting. Although I created my own nutrition program, he was putting together all of these supplements that I have, for the most part, thrown out the window. Not because I had a bad reaction to them, I just found that there were no good studies to show that it's doing anything for me other than feeding some dollars into his pocket because I was buying these supplements from him. So that went by the wayside. Um, what I have maintained and, and emphasized is my diet. So from paleo autoimmune type diet to carnivore diet, I think is critical number one. Uh, you know, if you have cancer and you don't get your diet right, to me, everything else you're doing makes no sense. And just as, as a sidelight, I go to the cancer clinic, I'll tell you what I'm doing currently. But when I go to the cancer clinic and I go into this uh, infusion room, there the nurses are offering chocolate chip cookies to their patients on IV infusions. Oh my God. I mean, who can you talk to when people are doing this to their patients? It makes no sense to me. So I think diet obviously is critical. My second thing I, I would say that's most critical is to maintain and understand the gut microbiome and the health and the integrity of the epithelial barrier. I've done quite a bit of research on that. As a matter of fact, I've written a um, a chapter for a medical textbook based on dysbiosis and chronic disease. And I believe that's number two. I think it's critical. 
And then I do a variety of other things because my bone structure, unfortunately, is very fragile. My, my skeleton can not support the weight of my, my body. Um, sadly enough, I've had some setbacks that have been severe. One, at, at one point, I was, it actually put me in hospice because um, my bones are very easy to fracture. So I do what I can do to support my bone metabolism, and I'll go into some other things that I'm doing, which is very interesting monoclonal antibody um, treatment for my bones as well as my malignant uh, plasma cells. And also, I believe um, in supporting my immune system. There are some herbs that I take, um, uh, elixir herbs, or, or uh, herbs in an elixir form that I feel that can help support my immune system. And I use pulse electromagnetic field therapy on a daily basis. I have a program and a protocol that um, one of the technicians at Pure Wave uh, QRS has worked throughout um, my course of treatment with me, and I've tweaked that too. And as you know, pulse electromagnetic fields are very effective in, in, with patients that have osteoporosis and other bone damage and broken bones, as well as soft tissue le lesions, PEMF helps healing of those tissues. It also helps to uh, repair dysfunctional mitochondria, which uh, you mentioned, Dr. Seafried, certainly mitochondrial dysfunction is the base, uh, I think, the core of cancer today. It has very little to do with genetics. It has everything to do with mitochondrial dysfunction and metabolic dysfunction. So um, I work with that on a daily basis. I use it four times a day. And um, I do some exercise and, and stretching and a variety of other things as I've worked up my strength because of some of the other fractures I've had. But I have a physical therapist that comes to my house. And we do a, a good bit of stuff. So those are the things that I incorporate into my protocols. And, and the basic things that I've eliminated are the enormous number of supplements that I find no value to. Yeah, I think most supplements, uh, the most thing, the, the thing they are most efficacious at is is enriching the uh, supplement manufacturers and nothing. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think that's oh, the yeah. problem there. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a, this this topic is always one that's very controversial, and and I you know I always sort of scratch my head why people feel that nutrition has no role in cancer treatment, prevention, therapy, so on and so forth, and it may not be the 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 only thing you do or the you know, you know the, the 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 thing that makes the biggest difference. But I mean, to to ignore it completely and hand out chocolate chip cookies to our you know people. I mean, that's basically just you know this. We used to call this six uh, PFP, you know, therapy, which was six pack and a fishing pole. You know, go get drunk and fish. I mean, that was that was the that was the you know that you got the diagnosis. I mean, I I just kind of see more of that attitude and I and. As we know, you know, particularly listening to guys like Thomas Seyfried, I mean, the, the chemotherapy, you know, doesn't really do that much as far as, you know. It does a lot of damage. So there's some wins, but I mean, there's a lot of, there is a lot of collateral damage that occurs clearly. And even, even today, we're still using drugs that were developed in the 50s and 60s. And then, you know, it's kind of a, a little bit, you know, interesting. So. As, as I've gone along with my, um, my cancer journey, my biggest problem, like I mentioned earlier, not the way I feel, but my pathological fractures. And it was maybe in um, September of 2019 
that I was in my bathroom brushing my teeth and I had some other issues with um, another vertebral compression fracture and their pain with my legs and my spinal cord. So I was walking with a, um, a walker, a rollator, just to give my body support. So I'm in my bathroom brushing my teeth, which I know how to do, by the way. And uh, so I'm twisting, I, I'm turning to throw something in the trash can that is to the, the left of me. And I twist and I don't realize that my feet are planted on the floor and I didn't realize twisting was a problem. So I twisted it about 90 degrees with my foot planted on the floor and I collapsed. My right femur split in half. When I collapse, I have a um, ceramic tile floor. So you go down very fast. There's no chance to even know what's happening. And I broke two ribs and I fractured my humerus in half at the same time, my right humerus in half at the same time. So I am literally, literally writhing on the floor. And my wife is in the other room and I'm, I just scream to her. And she comes in and I'm in the most pain that you can imagine times 10. And so obviously uh, um, the emergency um, crew come and they're trying to help me and, and my arm is literally wiggling. My leg is at an angle that obviously is fractured. So they take me to the hospital and I'm ready to die. Now I knew at this point I was given three to five, six months to live. So it's, I've lived beyond that three to six months already. And to me, this would be the end of the quality of life that I could even imagine. So they fixed my right femur because if they didn't, I would bleed to death because of the femoral artery. They don't fix my right humerus and um, they send me to hospice, which is fine. And I'm ready to die. And they put me on an enormous amount of narcotics. Amazing. That is a, if you, if, if you've never been on a narcotic, you need to be on one to feel what it's like, especially as a healthcare professional. So I've been in practice for 44 years and I've never taken a narcotic drug. I had no idea what it would feel like yet I wrote narcotics all the time for my patients after periodontal surgery. So you get addicted to the, not addicted, but you get, um, um, you, you have a, um, forgetting the word, but you, a dependency within three days. So I'm on these an enormous amount of narcotics. I'm ready to die. I'm constipated. I'm in pain. And I'm sick to my stomach because of all these narcotics. And then, a hurricane comes through Charleston, South Carolina, and the, hosp the hospice hospital has to evacuate. They had no place to send me, so they send me home. My wife, who's an RN, scrambles to find a hospital bed to be delivered to my house, so I'm put in this hospital bed. The hurricane is in Charleston now. All the power goes out for 12 hours. Hospital beds are electric. I can't move. I can't move the bed. I am in excruciating pain, and I'm ready to die. 
after the power goes on and things come back to normal, I'm actually starting to recover. And within a month or so of that incident in September of last year, I start to get better. And we get a physical therapist to come in and I start to get back to my old self before I fractured all these bones. And I regain my composure and my desire to live with a quality of life. And I went back to all the things that I was doing because certainly once I broke these bones and I was in a hospital bed, I wasn't really functioning well and couldn't eat the way I wanted and take the supplements and do all the other stuff that I was doing. But once I started to get back to, to healing, I went back to my normal cancer protocols and I recovered amazingly well. And again, I am here today feeling fantastic. I just need to know I can't twist, so I don't do that. But two or three months ago, my oncologist, we had a uh, conversation. Like I said, I see him every couple of weeks or so. And he told me about some new immunotherapy, which has nothing to do with chemotherapy, but immunotherapy that's very targeted now that was recently approved by the FDA for malignant plasma cells. So it's called Darzalex. It's an infusion, meaning that they put it into um, an IV into your vein. They do it in the beginning once a week for eight weeks and then every other week for eight more in infusions and then once a month as is necessary. And I'm in the middle of this, this regimen. And it targets a specific protein on a malignant plasma cell to kill that plasma cell. Very few side effects. There are side effects in the infusion itself that day, but there are no real side effects that certainly I have um, uh, experienced. And my blood chemistries, although they were very, very stable, are even getting better. And my specific malignant chemistry or malignant uh, blood work is improving dramatically. So I'm excited about this. I think that this may be a situation that could um, certainly put me in remission, maybe cure me. And especially since I'm doing what I'm doing outside of this medical, conventional medical um, therapy, all my unconventional therapy to support my body, I think is going to do wonders. Let me, let me just tell you something interesting too. I went to my oncologist, I would say, um, when I saw him maybe four weeks ago, the flu is going around everywhere and Charleston was inundated with the flu. And my physician, my oncologist and his uh, physician's assistant are suffering with a severe case of the flu. They're wearing masks, they're sneezing. Most of the staff in the hospital have the flu. And by the way, every member of the staff of the hospital are required to take the flu shot. That tells you something about the flu shot. And so I'm experiencing being in the room with my oncologist and a PA with them sneezing and coughing and drooling and dripping although they have masks on and I'm thinking I'm going to get really sick because theoretically my immune system is shot because my disease is a disease of plasma cells. Plasma cells create the antibodies. If you don't have the antibodies, you're susceptible to anything and everything. Yet, because I think of my diet and what I do with my immune system and everything else I'm doing with my gut, I don't get sick at all. So 
I think I am fighting this disease in, an, in a way that no one else is doing in my situation because of my changes in diet and lifestyle. And I am excited about the carnivore diet because I can stay in ketosis and maybe kill some ca cancer cells. Although I know Dr. Seafried talks about his push-pull technique with uh, glutamine as, as well. Glutamine is a little bit different because we don't want to get rid of glutamine. So I'm not doing that, but I am doing what I can do to literally reduce the glucose load in my blood so that I can starve some of these cancer cells. And once again, I feel like I'm doing phenomenally well. Elvin, have you had anybody, and I guess maybe it could be just maybe a little soon for folks to have caught wind or maybe not. You can, you can tell us that, but have you uh, had any interest from like researchers or the medical community to just kind of observe your case as a case study to see what happens and, um, if it would end up being a scenario where you end up living quite a bit longer than what was expected, that could be used as to look a way to maybe <clears throat> look at that in any further. And then I guess a secondary question, have you looked into Andrew Scarborough at all or heard, heard about any of his stuff? So I've written about Andrew and uh, yeah, he and I are friends on Facebook. I so bet. yeah. <laughs> so um, yes, he's a, one of the case studies that I talk about when I write about things that is a, mar a remarkable study um, of the carnivore diet and, and treating incurable cancers. Uh, I have tried, uh, I've talked to my oncologist about what I'm doing and everything that I am doing unconventionally and certainly conventionally is documented. So all my records are in, at the cancer clinic locally and, and everything that I've done is documented. I've pursued with a couple people that do write up case studies, but they've never really gotten back to me. So I don't know where I am with that. I've talked to uh, Dr. Paul Saladino. He has some friends that may be interested in pursuing and writing up me as a case study as time goes by. Yes, I would like to do that. No one has actually voiced an interest in doing that yet, but um, all the medical records will be there eventually for somebody to do that, especially if I get very, very healthy and surprise everybody, just like Andrew did. Yeah. Can you tell me um, the... Uh because what, what you had with the name of the condition you had, what, what did they determine it to be? Did you say multiple myeloma? Or yeah, so it's a specifically called IgA kappa light chain multiple myeloma. It's a very okay. specific form of the, you know, the antibody that's malignant. Okay. But the other part of the diagnosis is the innumerable skeletal lytic lesions because there are many forms of multiple myeloma and some are defined by how many holes you have in your bone like osteoporotic lesions. Sometimes it's one, four, five, ten. So the radiologists, when they looked at my PET scan, found there were so many, they called it innumerable. And that's why my skeleton is so fragile, and that's why my pathological fractures have occurred from the day that I was diagnosed until um, the last time I told you about it. Yeah, I mean, as an orthopedic guy, sometimes we would put uh, prophylactic nails. You know, we'd, we'd run rods down bones that we thought might be pending fractures, you know, humeri, femurs, tibias, and stuff so, like that for those types of conditions. This episode of the HPO podcast is brought to you by Energy CBD. Energy CBD specializes in formulating top-of-the-line THC-free CBD products. Their goal is to give customers transparent products and information in hopes to encourage a healthier and happier way of living. 
When used correctly, CBD has been shown to treat ailments including anxiety and depression, minimize physical pain and inflammation, and improve restorative sleep. Energy CBD specializes in oral tinctures and topical oil roll-ons using only pure CBD isolate. Tinctures are the most popular way of consuming CBD with just a couple of drops for full body relaxation. Their topical oil roll-ons are great for targeted relief. All handmade in the USA, thoroughly tested and approved by independent laboratories, this process ensures that no shortcuts are taken to achieve the highest quality THC-free CBD products. So visit energycbd.store, that's capital letters N-R-G-C-B-D.store, and for an extra 20% off your entire order, throw in the discount code capital E, capital Z, number two, number zero at the checkout. Check them out on Instagram at energy.cbd and on Facebook at energycbd. Links to all these can be found in the show notes. Now, back to the show. I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, what the, what the standard prognosis is on that, you know, this, you know, with, and what the spontaneous remission rate, cure rate, do we have any published literature on, on your particular condition or is it too uncommon to have that, those statistics? According to my oncologist, it is incurable by conventional medicine standards today. So maybe there are some um, remissions and cures. Uh, I have not seen that, but I, I, I'm not sure that uh, I even know where to look. Um, my main source is PubMed, but that's not everything. And there are a lot of case studies that are reported that may not be registered in PubMed. Um, when you talk about rods, I do have one down my right femur and down my left femur because I also had a fracture on my left femur. So I'm not sure what would happen if I tried to go through a medical metal detector today because of these metal rods, but I do believe they're pretty big. Um, I do have a problem with that. I mean, I have a concern about that because I understand from my research, certainly in dentistry, titanium implants fail because of the titanium ions that leak into the bone and systemic circulation, creating a cytokine reaction and a chronic inflammatory response. Um, Dental implants that are made of titanium have the same problem. It's only new research that's showing that to happen. When the titanium in the body gives that result, it is a non-infectious um, osteoclastic activity and, or uh, non-infectious inflammation. In the mouth, you get uh, initially this immune response that breaks down the bone, but also the bacteria in the mouth um, co-inhabit the area and they start to infect it. So now you have an infectious um, autoimmune and or uh, just osteoclastic activity breaking down the bone and getting into the blood system and disseminating throughout the rest of the body, just like periodontal disease. Just like yeah, just, just some nerd stuff. I mean, one of the reasons titanium is selected in bone is because it matches the modulus elasticity of the bone. And so the, the flex of the titanium rod matches what the bone does. And that's why it's used for long bone uh, fractures. And whereas joint replacements use a little different, you know, using an alloy, cobalt chromium or something along those lines, because you know, it doesn't need, it has a different, uh, you know, requirements mechanically, but I, you know, and I've seen, I, I'd put a lot of titanium rods down people and 
you know, my experience was that they, they tended to do pretty well. It wasn't, you know, they, unless they became loose, then they would. Then yeah, the, the problem is only when they're failing. So when they're failing, right. obviously, these are the reasons they're failing. And then in dentistry, there's another metal, metal that is similar to titanium, and that's zirconium, and it's made into a zirconium oxide, a ceramic type of material. Yep. And it is used in uh, dentistry, the, the newer implants and the, the more um, up-to-date way to do it would be to do zirconia, uh, zirconia implants rather than titanium alloy implants because there isn't as much of a cytokine reaction and it's much more gentle as far as inflammation is concerned. So zirconia would be better than titanium. I don't know if zirconia is used for long bones or not because I think that there's a brittle is issue with the zirconia. But um, from a, a cytokine reaction, I think it, it's better for zirconia instead of titanium. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the zirconium alloys were used like on femoral heads for, for joint replacement. But for long bones, yeah, that you would have this catastrophic failure. They, they fail catastrophically as a farm. They just snap right away with the brittle. Not, good. Yeah, it's not, not yeah. good for a femur. So interesting stuff. So, um, so, what so I got that? those in both femurs. <laughs> what, what is your, uh, so what's the latest? What does your oncologist thoughts on the diet at this point? Does he think you're nuts? Is he, is he discouraging it, encouraging it? What is, what is his thoughts? So the, uh, the, the carnivore diet is so new, I had to slowly bring him into my paleolithic autoimmune diet. Um, and that took a little while for him to understand. And certainly he didn't, he wasn't eating that way because he was going out, you know, having pizza. But um, so I, I'm thinking I'm blowing him away, but he's understanding what I'm doing. And he's, every time I see him, he wants copies of the, uh, the PubMed articles that are in various journals all over the world that I can download and bring to him so he can read it. Now, I'm assuming he's reading it because he's asking for it and he's always responding to me the, the next time I see him, um, what's going on and what I have new, but um, I, I'm not sure how he's accepting my carnivore diet, but I think he will be more receptive as he sees some of the other case studies that I can present to him. And there are some interesting case studies, especially from paleomedicine. Yeah, we've got them published on our MeetRx website. We've got pretty much most of the carnivore literature that's been, been out. Yes, as a matter of fact, I looked at it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah we've got those published. And Dr. Filovati is doing a nice job curating that for us. So we were adding, adding literature all the time. And as you may be aware, we've got a carnivore study coming out very shortly with uh, Dr. David Ludwig, Belinda Leonard's out of Boston Children's and Harvard University that will be kind of the first major one and then I think subsequent and I think we'll, well that's fantastic and if you know somebody that's interested in writing up a case study if what happens to me is in a very positive way a positive light I'd love to make contact yeah I know I know a few and I, I can certainly we can talk about that off off, sure. off off the deal there and see if we can get that going my my goal you know again I have no problem with my lot in life and I have no problem with the reality that I'm dying. Um, I want to give back and pay it forward. And that's where I am today. If I can improve just one person's attitude, um, their lifestyle, and maybe not even cure them or even put them in remission. But if I can give them some, some motivational speak 
to, to let them know that there are other ways and they need to be proactive and ask more questions and look into things in, in areas that they don't even know exist and it makes them feel better, I've done a lot. And, and that's really where I am today. I just want to share this experience. Yeah, thank you for doing that. That's wonderful. Like I said, it's, uh, you know, it takes a lot of, uh, I guess, courage to, to kind of step forward. And, you know, sometimes it, it takes being, you know, pushed into a position where you either, you know, either kind of do something or you don't. And, uh, you know, not a lot of people would do what you, you, you're doing. And, uh, it's, it's, it's up to folks like that to kind of be the, be the pioneers or the explorers or the astronauts and see what happens. So Zach, what else do you think? Uh, anything, any other comments you have? No, I think this has been an awesome story to hear Alvin. And I think it's also interesting that like you have such a positive outlook. I mean, you, you're by all means, like you mentioned, living month to month, essentially. So you kind of have to, you know, take every day as like almost bonus. And I think that's got to be difficult to stay positive in, in that scenario. And I think if nothing else, that's, that's a, you know, pretty cool thing to be able to show people as well as potentially helping you out from the psychological side of things. I am human and I get depressed. And I, when I fall into a state of depression, I just drop into this abyss, which is terrible. I have a very, very supportive wife, and she helps me. She always helps me, but she really knows how to bring me out of a state of depression. Um, and I think, it's, you know, everybody has to have some support mechanism to help them. No one, no one can do this by themselves because there's just so much to unpack and handle. But, but um, there there is light at the end of the tunnel and I have an attitude that, that does make it different. You know, placebos do work uh, medically. And when you have the right attitude, you're, you're changing your, your biochemistry. You're changing things in your brain physiologically and you can get healthy. There are some great double blind studies on placebos that have as good of effect as any, pharmaceutical medication. So your mindset has a lot to do with your healing. And I certainly know that if I would stay depressed and feel like a victim and, and act that way and, and believe that way, I would be sicker than I am today, no matter what I was doing other than um, not having the right attitude. So I think attitude is, is everything or certainly is part of a whole protocol. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, can you tell folks where they can sort of follow your, your journey? And hopefully it's a long journey and you're, you're allowed to write a lot. A lot absolutely. Of absolutely. I have a website. It's drdannenberg.com, which is D-R-D-A-N-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. I write about the gut and the oral health and, and chronic disease, which is what I really have done quite a bit of research in. I've been active with that website maybe for the last five years. Um, I wrote a book called Crazy Good Living that was put, published in 2017, certainly before I even thought I had a uh, malignancy. But I also talk about my, my cancer journey. And once I got diagnosed in September 2018, I've been writing rather prolifically, uh, maybe 30, 40 different blogs along the way, uh, just to 
beginning and understanding my mortality. And, you know, everybody thinks about sometime in their life, the meaning of life. And you, re you can read a million books about the meaning of life, which I probably had done a long time ago, but none of them really mean anything until you're in that room and you're struck with the reality that you're dying and you're dying potentially quickly. And, and it's not necessarily your fault, although our environment is the fault. And I do believe, uh, if you want to hear my philosophy of where I think I got this disease, I do believe it's all environment and I do believe it's dental school. When I went to dental school in the early 1970s, so that's a long time ago, Zach, <laughs> <laughs> um, when I went to dental school, I was surrounded by low-dose ionizing radiation, which are dental x-rays. In the clinic that I was in, in my dental school, which was um, standard of care in those days, we had four dental students. Each one had a module, and we shared a dental x-ray unit. So every four students had a dental x-ray unit, and they were being used. Theoretically, they were being collimated and filtered, but I have no idea if they were. And I was in that environment for four years, and then two years of graduate school, possibly being exposed to this low-dose ionizing radiation all the time. We never wore badges, so we, I never knew that I could have been exposed. And one of the sources of a plasma cell changing into a malignant plasma cell is low-dose ionizing radiation. That's a fact. That's been studied. Also, we placed mercury fillings. Sadly enough, it's still being taught in dental school today. But we played with mercury in our hands, free mercury, just like kids play with Play-Doh. We played with these silver, silver balls. We, we used it to mix into a powder to make the dental amalgam and the excess. And when I tell you this, I'm telling you the, the truth. The excess little balls that expressed themselves when we made this amalgam um, solution, that, this structure that we put in the teeth, we would throw these little metal balls on the floor. And of course, the floor in the dental clinic, they would scatter and eventually evaporate. And the dental, entire dental school would be highly contaminated with volatile mercury vapor. It would be every patient, every student, every faculty member would be exposed to this high toxic environment. And we knew nothing about that. We had no idea. So I think these are the two main reasons that something triggered in those days one plasma cell in my body to become malignant. And that's all it takes. One malignant plasma cell. One cell that goes abnormal but won't kill itself off and then it duplicates. And over the course of 40 years, it has been growing. Maybe I have been better off with my new diet to keep it under control, but it has been growing until it finally manifested with the pain that I had in April 2018. And I was well advanced with multiple myeloma, but I never knew it. And general medical x-rays uh, or, or medical tests, you know, blood tests, whatever, didn't indicate that I had a problem. My, calcium, my serum calcium is normal. 
my affluent phosphatase was normal, yet I had all these irreversible bone lesions, innumerable irreversible bone lesions. So I think that's where it all started. Yeah, you know, it'd be really interesting to see if, uh, if there's any like increased rate of that sort of a situation with folks that are, or with the populations that are kind of hanging well, out. Well, now that you mention that, I did my little geeky research and I wrote about this. There was a study that was done. Um, I would say, I, I don't have it on hand, but I think it was published in the last five years, where the study was to look at the male dental population of my cohort, which was 65 to 75 years old, compared to the general male population in the United States. And those male dentists, 65 to 75 years old, has a, had a significantly increased risk of malignancy. Hmm. So there you have it. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's that's pretty incredible to think about. Uh, and I mean, just you know, you open that can of worms, you start thinking of like other other situations similar to that, because you know that's just kind of one example of an environment that is potentially toxic that people are hanging around in for long periods of time if you're in that profession. And there's certainly other ones too that probably have similar outcomes or similar increased risk potentials. Yes, um, dentistry does use a lot of toxic materials in their um, treatment of patients as well as, as in their um, restoration of teeth. It's getting better today than it was 40 years ago, but the dental materials that are used are highly toxic, and it's toxic for everybody. You know, some people say, well, it's just a small dose, but if it's in your mouth, let's say you have a silver filling in your mouth and it's leaching out some free mercury, which it does. Although the American Dental Association, FDA, says it doesn't. That's not necessarily true, but it does. And so you have this toxic element in your mouth 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's absorbed through your tissues. You swallow it when you swallow your saliva. Maybe the load individually at any point in time is not significant, but it's living in your body 24 hours a day, seven days a week, like I said, eventually that toxic load could overwhelm your body's ability to detoxify. We can detoxify from mercury. We do it all the time. Our glutathione knows how to do it. But if it's overloaded, it doesn't. And that's where the problems develop with any toxic uh, load or toxic substance. And dentistry has a lot of them. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, this has been an interesting interview for sure. And it's been uh, great to have you on the show and have you share your story and some of the stuff I think our listeners are going to really enjoy. Enjoy to kind of check out what you have to say and then hopefully go head over to your website and see some of the resources you've put together over there. Thank you. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to meet you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll, we'll definitely link the website and any other things you'd like to the show notes so our listeners can head over and check that stuff out pretty easily. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Dr. Denneberg. Appreciate you coming on. Hey, it's been, it's been my pleasure, Sean. Hey, folks. Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing. And due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.